Welcome to Fire and Security Chat, brought to you by Corson Fire and Security, where we talk about the technology and equipment used to protect and secure life and property. I'm your host, Aaron Whitaker, and today I'm with Chris White, Clean Agent Corporate Trainer at Corson Fire and Security. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Chris about the most common types of clean agents used in fire suppression systems. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Aaron. How you doing, man? Good. Good. All right. First, let's start with uh, what is a clean agent fire suppression system? <clears throat> so a actual clean agent fire suppression system that meets the uh, NFPA 2001 standard that they all have to fall under um, in the SNAC, SNAP program. But basically, all the agents... Um, addressed in that standard have to be electrically non-conducting and leave no residue in the form of evaporation. That is the actual definition of a clean agent fire suppression system. Okay. How does it suppress the fire? So there's two primary, with the clean agents, there's two primary type of agents. You have mm-hmm. what everybody calls the chemical agents, um, which more likely will be FM200 or FE227EA. Your Novak 1230, depending on manufacturer, you may see it uh, trademark name as Sapphire or Cinerex or just Novak. It's actually known in the standard as FK5-1-12. And then you have your inert gases, um, which there's you know pretty much three primary ones. Um, it's a mixture of different gases that are in the, already um, in the atmosphere, and those mm-hmm. mixtures will um, be fire suppression agents. What are the, the, is it nitrogen or what are the three? Mm-hmm. It's uh, nitrogen. The primary two is nitrogen and uh, argon. Okay. And then there's a manufacturer that adds a little bit of CO2 in their in their mixture. And that's, some people know it as, uh, from Ansel, as Energen mm-hmm. or IG541. It's how it's listed in the standard. But that little bit of CO2 is not even there for fire protection. What that's actually there is to help us as humans breathe in more oxygen um, because of the way the inert gases suppress. Okay. Um, with the Novak 1230 and the FM200, what is the chemical makeup? Do you know, or is that? So. Um, or is it a trade secret? No, or, it's no. not real. I mean, no, no, it's not a trade secret. I mean, you know, all the manufacturers um, have the agent now. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, the last manufacturer, and I just had uh, something come across my emails or something on the last week whenever the heck it was manufacturer fike are one of the last ones that finally are going to start selling the novak 1230 so i mean it's there's no trade secrets with okay. the agents itself i mean it's where you come in the differences is some of the little little things that manufacturers want to do with their product mm-hmm. um, the actual equipment not the agent but so your fm200 it's a floor pro um heptafluoropropane and so what will happen is because so back in the halon days the primary molecular structure of halon 1301 there was some chlorine and bromine molecules in that structure mm-hmm. and so whether you believe in global warming or if there was a hole in the ozone that's not what this conversation today is for but there was have been claims that there was a hole over the ozone mm-hmm. and so some really smart people a heck of a lot smarter than i started you know i think we've talked about this but you know started doing research and found out that the cfc's and some of those chlorine and bromines were actually being ozone depleters and so because of that in 1987 you had the first kind of protocol which was the montreal protocol and then you had some others the Kyoto and some others well in 94 you had the clean air act that was implemented by the united states epa which in turn produce the SNAP program or the significant new alternatives program. So all the clean agents today that are on the market have to, to be used in the United States have to meet the SNAP program. So that SNAP program is looking at toxicity of the agent, ozone depletion, global warming potential, all those things environmentally that could have an effect. So as long as they're within the, the guidelines that have been set by EPA, mm-hmm. they can be used, here, be used here in the States. So what would happen is the, like I said, the bromine and chlorine molecules actually was causing some ozone depletion. So with halon 13 the interaction of the ignition source could actually produce 
sometimes, and it really depended on it depends on moisture in the environment uh, mm-hmm. or the enclosure. You know, it could be some acidic byproduct, um, and then you have like carbonyl fluoride that could actually start to oxidize and produce carbon monoxide, and then carbonyl bromines, and then decompose at low temperatures back to bromines, and it was primarily the bromine that was causing, they say, the ozone depletion. Okay. Well, once they found that out, what they did was they were able to, so of course they had to start looking for molecules and agents to replace the halon, right? Well, they found out they could remove the chlorine and bromine molecules, still have the fluorine in with, that's really where the FM200 came into play. Okay. And so then, you know, as the industry has gotten smarter and, and those type of things, around 2004, yeah, around 2004, 2000, yeah, around 2004 is when the fluoroketone, or better known as Novak 1230, came mm-hmm. into play. It's got the fluorine molecules. And the thing about fluorine molecules is it loves absorbing sunlight. So mm-hmm. it's going to absorb the, the you know, the sunlight quicker and that's one of the reasons why Novak can actually has one of the, you know the absolute lowest as far as the chemical agents the lowest um, atmospheric lifetime that mm-hmm. any of them that any of them have so um, again it's really about you know it, it was realizing it was all based on halon you know halon in and itself was had very low toxicity yeah. halon itself was a fantastic fire suppressant but because of environmental concerns, it was discontinued mm-hmm. being produced, and you can't you can't get any new Halon thirteen oh one today. Okay, so all these new ones that you're discussing here, did they pretty much originate or were created as a result? So after ninety four, mm-hmm. well, even before then. So you had so in eighty seven, they said Halon's done. Right? Okay. And you had some other, you know, like the Kyoto Earth Summit, and mm-hmm. you had the Rio Earth Summit. So depending on which one it was, some of them started looking at toxicity. Some of them were, you know, the, the countries were that were participating in that were looking at, you know, the, the global warming potential and then Earth's future and those type of yep. things. And then, so they were already, you know, so there was still going to be some protection of Halon 1301 until about 1994, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, manufacturers said, we're done supporting it. So what I mean by that is, so if you have an existing Halon 1301 system today, and you've not had any issues with it, mm-hmm. I mean, they don't have to upgrade. But what the customer or end user has to understand, they're really on borrow time. And because it's, you know... Obtaining agents getting harder. Now you have components like the detection and control that will operate the releasing of the co- of the agent container. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that stuff won't be interaction anymore. Um, and 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 if for some reason you want to make a, try to make a change to your enclosure, you can't redesign a halon because there's no calculations that can be done to validate. You know. It's, that it's that it's going to flow properly and give you the proper coverage and, and those type of things. So it's kind of like old operating systems are no longer supported. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it, it, exactly. It is, and and um, you know, and again, I'm not going to sit here and say you have to upgrade them. I'm not going to tell you that, but you do need to think about what you're really trying to protect. Is it you know? Is it that important? Yeah. And can you afford if something happens? And I'm not even in that statement of something happening. I'm not even talking about a fire event. I'm talking about for some reason the main control panel goes down. Mm-hmm. Well, because of UL listings and those type of things, we may not be able to just replace the control panel. You're going to have to upgrade the entire. Well, it may be a cost that you're not anticipating. Yeah. So wouldn't to, so you need to. What I'm getting at is start start thinking about it and start. You know, putting it at in the your cost, budget. Yeah, putting yep. it in your budget so you can be prepared and, and, you know, be ready to do it when you're ready to pull the trigger. But understanding, you know, and it's not going to be a, you know, in upgrading these systems, it's not like you say, okay, I want to do it tomorrow and you got the parts in 48. I mean, sometimes it takes a couple, three, 
weeks before we can get everything, yeah. you know, to start even installing the new system. So, mm -hmm. well, I know, I mean, with Halon, there's still the fire extinguishers too, Halon fire extinguishers, mm -hmm. right? Which are a little less technical, but I've also heard that there are companies that are stockpiling the old, you know, the Halon. Uh, which could probably see the prices uh, yeah. go up. And yeah, so what's, what's, what's happening is you're having some of these warehouses, you're exactly right, some of these warehouses are actually stockpiling the Halon, and what they're actually doing is they're wanting to resell the used Halon to a lot of the refinery and or aviation industry. Okay. Because Halon in and of itself was, is fantastic in very harsh environments and so because of Halon is starting the availability of it's really starting to dwindle mm -hmm. um, you've got some organizations that they're going to hold on to it as long as they possibly can yeah. and so if that means they can get it and stockpile it and bank it wherever the heck it is they're banking and buy it and keep it you know that's what they're that's what they're going to do yeah. and then they have their own reserve and they don't have to you know revamp the entire system or you know because some of those especially aviation when it comes to you know military and those type of things you do can't necessarily have the system down so I mean yeah. it's kind of mission critical if you will and with this uh, the EPA and the Kyoto and you know the uh, the Rio it they weren't like targeting fire suppression or clean agent or fire suppression systems. They were targeting those, that bromine or the, uh, the bromines and the CFCs. Yeah. So, so I mean, it, it affected a lot of, uh, I guess, different industries. And it, and it did. And actually, what it's really affecting is the, believe it or not, is the refrigerant or the HVAC industry. Yeah. Um, because there, I can't. What was it? A couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, something like that. So someone, however that process happens, had a uh, proposal, uh, like number rule number 20 or whatever, that started kind of pushing about, you know, wanting to put some of these clean agent systems or gases on the Montreal Protocol and get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a lot of pushback because the reality of it is if you properly maintain these systems, less than 1% even acts just normal quote-unquote, accidentally discharged. There's even a less percentage of them just accidentally accidentally discharging. Um, and, of course, that was the pushback, and they had ruled, yeah, we're not going to put any restrictions for the use and, you know, those type of things. However, in that proposal, kind of came down hard on some of the refrigerants that are being used for AC and, and mm -hmm. stuff like that. You know, that's what it's really... Um, and some of the, the stuff's being used like in aerosol, cans, you know, all that's, I mean, that's what it's really hammering, not really the fire yeah. suppression industry at all. It's not really affecting the fire suppression industry at all, to be honest with you. It, yeah, I remember when they, the CFCs and the uh, hair, they get affected the, uh, the hairspray industry. <laughs> big time. Yeah. They did. They did. <laughs> it, you know, I guess back in the 80s or whatever, if you had more hair and you wanted the big hair. Yep. You the, know, affected uh, you more than... The Aquanet. Yes, uh, that's yeah. right. Or what was yeah. it, the Aquanist or Watermist or yeah. whatever yeah. that was called. <laughs> yeah. um, we, you know, let's talk about the kind of the three main that we just discussed. And uh, we, some of them are gas, which I was the stored as gas is correct. That's mm -hmm. the inert. Correct. And the other yep. two are stored as liquid. Correct. Um, and they're all discharged. Once they are discharged, they turn into gases, correct? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, so all the chemical, your Novak, your FM200, um, they are super pressurized inside the cylinder as a liquid. And then when they, and they're super pressurized with dry nitrogen, um, most systems in the early, when the systems came out, just like Halon 1301, at 70 degrees, the pressure is going to be 360 PSI. So the agents have different, you know, you know, different uh, chemical characteristics of them. Mm -hmm. So, so you're, some of them you're going to need more dry nitrogen to get the agent to flow than the other. So then through just natural friction going through the discharge piping and all that, 
those chemical agents then will turn as they get to the nozzle will turn into a gas and the, in the gaseous form is what will actually do the suppressing of the ignition source. Okay. Your inert gas systems, they're stored as a gas, they discharge as a gas. So there is no turning back over from oil, liquid to, uh, you know, to a gas or mm -hmm. any of that nature. But because of the pressure of the gases, now you're not worried about quote-unquote weight like you are with a chemical agent, you're worried about cubic feet because you can't have weight of a gas. It's really a measurement how much gas they're really... So to get it to flow and all that, it's got to be compressed. It's going to be a higher pressure. The So the inert has a higher pressure mm -hmm. than the, the liquid? Yeah. Forms. So, okay. so <clears throat> real quick, on some of the agents, uh, manufacturers now, on the chemical agents... You know, I mentioned 360 PSI at 70 degrees. Mm -hmm. They now have what they're calling 500 PSI systems. And the reason why they're having the 500 PSI systems is because with your chemical agents, I guess let me try to explain it. So most because of the way the chemical agents flow, you have a box that you have to be in for proper flowing of those chemical agents. It doesn't matter if it's Halon, doesn't matter if it's FM200 or Novak. From the time the valve is told to open up and discharge, you have to discharge all that contents within 10 seconds. Okay. Doesn't matter if it's a little bitty, a little bitty of 10 pounds, or you've got 957 pounds. It does not matter. You have to get those tanks emptied within 10 seconds. And the reason being is you want to ensure that you are turning from the li compressed liquid into the gas form to have the proper design concentration in whatever enclosure you're protecting, okay? Well, what they found was you had a 30-foot rule. So from the discharge outlet to the furthest of the agent, the discharge outlet from the furthest, or from the cylinder to the furthest nozzle could exceed 30 feet. So those cylinders have to be fairly close, and normally they're within the enclosure in itself, but they have to be fairly close to whatever they're protecting. These are the liquid ones? These are the chemical. These yeah. are the, your FM200, your yep. Halon, okay. your Novak. Well, they've been doing a lot of testing, and so they are now releasing what they're calling the 500 PSI. So yes, the pressure is a little bit higher. You're still going to have your same amount of agent, your super dry, you know, pressurized with dry nitrogen. Mm -hmm. Your pressure now is 500. Well, now you can be further away. It gives you a little bit more flexibility okay. on the design, and it widens that box, if you will. With the inert gases, because at 70 degrees, for an example, a 150-bar cylinder, you're at 2,175 pounds of pressure per a cylinder. Now, obviously, you don't have that much pressure coming out of the nozzle. You're around 100 pounds coming out of the nozzle mm -hmm. if it's properly designed. Um, but because of the... Because of the pressure, you in some instances could be 300 feet away from the protected enclosure. Okay. So you could have, you know, this room that we're in, you know, we could have the cylinders located 300 feet away in a total different storage room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's out of sight, out of mind, and, and, and those type of things. So, and you do have, if, but because of that, trying to eliminate the number of cylinders sometimes for inert gases, the manufacturers are now going to 300 bar. So you're around, um, what is it, around 4,000 PSI, but they're controlling the flow and all that through the valves. Bigger cylinder, a little bit bigger cylinders, but again, you don't have to have as many, but now you can be even a little bit further away okay. because of the pressure. So they're, you know, they're trying to open that box up a little bit, some of the design criteria that goes into some of these systems. Okay. Um, I wanted to, and we you kind of talked about the different size cylinders and bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, for, let's just say, a typical 10 by 10 room, uh, the, the sizes of the cylinders, is the inert uh, smaller or bigger than like the FM or Novak? So or? The, the rule of thumb was generally it would take, <clears throat> I think it was based off like 100 pounds of mm -hmm. Alon, something like that, um, was seven to one, seven inert cylinders to one Halon 1301 cylinder. 
So what you have to think about is most of your, and this is based off the 150 bar type cylinder, mm -hmm. most of them will take about about two, one to two square foot of, of area. Okay. So if you had, if for some reason you had five inert gas cylinders or that's what you needed for proper protection, you're probably taking up about, <clears throat> probably about seven foot of space because of where the, you know, of, of the cylinders taking up that, mm -hmm. taking up that area. So you'll have some individuals that are, our space is limited yep. in our computer room. Well, that's okay because, like I said, you can be further away okay. with the inert gases. So it could be in some mechanical room, you know, 100 feet down the hallway, make service a little bit more cumbersome, but it can be done so you're not having to take up that space inside your, you know, inside your room. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, again, it's, uh, you know, with your chemical agents, um, it really varies on about the depending on manufacturer and how many pounds you have. Um, but generally, generally they're not taking up no more than, you know, the biggest cylinders are normally no more than maybe 24 to, I don't know, 36 inches in circumference, mm -hmm. you know. So it takes up a little bit of space, but it's not like gonna just totally, you yeah. know. So when, so when space is limited, you would probably go for the Novak or FM over the inert? If space is limited, if storage space is limited, yeah. yeah. Um, that may be the, you know, if you're wanting to have a clean agent, you may need to be looking at your chemical because you're not going to have to, you know, take up as much room because you may only have one cylinder instead of four or five, whatever, with the inert. Okay. If it's not a concern, then, you know, it's... Um, you know, you may just want to stick with the inert or whatever. Um, which we're kind of getting into that. What is considered when choosing the correct <clears throat> clean agent? Um, we talked about space, but is there other factors? <clears throat> Return on your investment is going to need better number one. And what I mean by that is, um, and it's easy for me or being an employee of course and fire and security if you will say cost should never be an option when yep. i get it. yeah it's going to be i call it the head in the actual installation a lot of times in a, installing an inert gas system um, may be more expensive than a regular chemical agent mm -hmm. but you also have to look at um, serviceability and some of the things that go into that um, and you have, so to answer your question, you gotta look at probably number one on everybody's list is cost. Yep. You also now have to look at what are we really wanting to protect? Um, what is the return on our investment? Because these systems, I, and I've said it before in other, in some videos and some other podcasts, and you know, if you come to one of my HJ presentations or my class, I'll get on my soapbox and say the same thing you have to understand the pros and cons and exactly what you're wanting to protect and that these systems are assets. Yep. So again, at the end of the day, if you're, for an example, wanting to protect your server room, um, you need to understand the pros and cons of the system, but you also need to know what you're really wanting to protect. And I'm not just talking about the equipment and the production of your employees. At the end of the day, can you put a cost on the lost revenue with not being able to produce? And can you also know the ramifications of the negative impact it may have outside of your facility? Because you going down could impact somebody else's business because they're dependent on water widgets or whatever it is that you're producing or what. Mm -hmm it may come to a point where they're now it's impacting him so it it can have an actual ripple effect and so sometimes those intangible costs you can't put it i mean you don't know really what it is again i don't care if it's fire alarm sprinkler a restaurant system a co2 clean a it doesn't matter you know even you know cart access or security yes you're putting money in to have them properly maintained but at the end of the day, these systems, no matter what it is, these systems are assets. Yep. And, and it's amazing how people kind of forget that 
they have no problems of taking their car and getting the oil changed or the tires rotated or whatever and you know nobody bats an eye to do that type of thing but when it comes to life safety systems they always want to not everybody sometimes people just don't want to you know maintain them properly mm -hmm. well at the end of the day you still got to start thinking these systems as assets okay so all right well let's say that i want to buy a system mm -hmm. a clean agent system and right. i have a server room okay is there i mean is there a difference in the fm200 and the uh the novak or i mean is it what is there different advantages benefits or yeah there is um just like everything else there's pros and cons with everything okay so that is something that a good service company hopefully um, is going to bring to you here's the joe customer here's the pros and cons mm -hmm. here's the cons or the pros and at the end of the day end user the customer has to make that decision on what they want and, mm -hmm. and understand what they're getting the biggest thing everybody every single time absolutely does not pay attention to to be perfectly honest with you is enclosure integrity because we have this server room and I've said it this time and time again people will have these server rooms and you'll have these companies come in and throw a system in and the room was never ever designed to retain the agent yep. at all well you're really to be honest with you you're really wasting your money so some of the factor into that is it may be more expensive to install the actual inert gas system but to maintain that gas inside that enclosure for the industry standard of 10 minutes it may actually be more beneficial for you to go to an inert because of the cost it's going to take for you to spend to properly seal the room up okay. but again you have to weigh the, the the pros and cons you know storage what's our storage for the agent containers what are we actually wanting to protect mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, you know uh, um, the cost of maintaining the system, um, you know, as far as the, the required semi-annual inspections and maintenance and those type of things. Um, and then on top of that, you really need to do yourself a favor and really research, uh, especially if you're getting different bids from different service companies, research on your own the manufacturer that they're presenting to you. Okay. Um, and, and the reason I say that is just because this service company may come in and say this is what we're you know proposing to you there may be all sort of in this manufacturer it's, it's no different you know it's kind of like going buying a car do your due diligence um, because at the end of the day whatever you decide to purchase it, I mean that's what you're going to have to it's what you're going to have to live with mm -hmm. um, so don't be afraid don't be afraid to ask those hard questions to the whoever's giving you the proposal because it's going to be your system make sure that you're going to that you're happy with it and you understand exactly how it functions um, probably to really answer the question it's kind of a broad I mean there is there's pros and cons if you don't have storage space um, and you can get the cylinders fairly close to the room chemical agents are probably I mean chemical agents are the way to go mm -hmm. if you are having troubles with enclosure integrity and, and you've got a little bit of leakage in the room and inert gases help you be able to maintain because of you know the fact that it's so close to air and you got the space inert gases would actually be the right would be the right choice okay. um, so again you just have to really weigh it yourself and and at the end of the day look at what you think are pros and compare them to the cons um, let's let's just go with chemical agents. Okay. And let's get in. I want to talk about kind of the uh, the use concentration and the uh, uh, no is it no AL or the no observable adverse effect level. Yes. Yeah. What are are there uh, are there differences in the I guess the chemical agents? Yeah. So your your FM two hundred normal design concentration for like a class C. Mm -hmm. um, class A type fire is going to be around 7%. Okay. It's based at 70 degrees. Okay. Um, then you have, so I'll, let me back up real quick. So the 
NOEL is the no observed diverse effect level. What that is, is it is the highest concentration in which no adverse toxicological or physiological effect has been observed. We also then have to look at the low EL, which is the lowest um, adver observable adverse effect level. That is the lowest concentration in which an adverse physiological and toxicological effect has been observed. Okay. So based off of those, we gotta make sure that that clean agent, in particular, in this case, the chemical agents, are within the proper design criteria. So with FM200, it's normally around 7%, okay? That would be the design concentration. That's the design concentration. To put out a fire, yep. To suppress the, yep. to suppress, suppress. Okay. to suppress a normal class A and non-energized class E fire, uh, high voltage class E fire, it's around 7%. Okay. You can do class B with FM200. That design concentration, depending on the flammable liquid, is going to be higher. It's normally eh, probably around eight, nine, nine and a half percent. Okay. Okay. So the NOEL is, you know, from FM two hundred to around ten and a half. Okay. Um, so what that means is it can actually be designed up to ten percent. Mm -hmm. Well, NFPA committee and some really smart people many years ago did a lot of testing. And the way the testing used to be done was used to be done on, on dogs. And so they would take the dogs and give the dogs some adrenaline or ethylene. I never say that word right, but anyway. Ephedrine. Thank you. Yep. Anyway, to get their adrenaline going. Yep. Well, then they would start giving them basically the design concentration of the gas. And what they were watching was cardiac sensitization. Well, in 2004, when NFPA 2001-2004 edition came out, that was the first edition that they were like, look, the old way of testing was very stringent. It was very um, archaic. It didn't allow a lot of different things that we needed to be looking for. So they came out with a computer model called the PBPK. So now they started doing testing and was able to verify some things through the computer modeling. That's the way it's all done today. No animal testing. Correct. <laughs> yep. So based off of that, what they would found is they would start giving the agent and once they started seeing cardiac sensitization, okay, that would be like the low EL. Okay. Okay. So then based off of that, they did some guesstimation and said, here's your exposure limit depending on what the design concentration is. Now what you have to understand is there is a safety factor in there. There's always a safety factor, you know, in everything that we mm -hmm. seem to do, right? So they do the same thing with FM200. They've done the same thing with Novac. Novac 1230, most of your class AC is around 4 to 5%, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Class B, 5 to 6. Your inert gases, because we're discharging as a gas, when I get ready to say this, some people are going to be like, holy cow, that's a big design concentration. That's a big difference. The reason being is because your chemical agents absorb the heat. In most cases, the, the suppressing um, of the ignition source is, is the chemical agents are absorbing the heat faster than the fire can produce. Okay. Because of that, there is some uh, byproduct that's being produced, but it really depends on the heat of the ignition source, depending mm -hmm. on how much hydrogen fluoride from that chemical. The agents themselves, in the proper design concentrations, have been deemed safe. And I'll circle back around to that here in a minute. But with the inert gases, we're starting out on a normal class A or C around 34%. Okay. But that all has to do with oxygen content, because with the inert gases, if you listen to some of the other videos and podcasts that we've done, most inert gases, all the inert gases drop the oxygen content below 14% to around 12.5, which coincides to a certain oxygen content, we as humans can still breathe, and our body will naturally want to breathe in deeper. Well, because, of the, because there's no quote-unquote chemical reaction, you don't necessarily have, you don't have the byproduct that you could from the chemical agents. Okay. Okay. So they've done all this testing and have said, okay, you, depending on the design concentration, you are 
allowed to this long of the exposure limit, depending on what agent it is. But at, again, at the design safety, the normal, for example, FM 207%, your Novak 45 to 5%, your inert gas is around 34 to 38. Mm -hmm. um, they have found most humans have no effect from the agent in itself at that design criteria. Okay. Um, so if we had a thousand cubic foot room and we were doing FM 200, we would need at 7%, we'd need about 70 pounds of agent. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, so, but with that being said, all, the, all of us as humans have different physiology. We're all different. Yep. Some of us have, unfortunately, maybe a breathing, maybe we have a heart, maybe we don't even realize that we have, you know, some have, you know, diabetes, some have, you know, here, whatever, yep. right? Yep. Well, the reason I bring that up is I had a situation a few years ago where I did training for a customer on their FM200 system. And I want to tell a story, story real quick so, mm -hmm. you know, the listeners kind of have an understanding. This system was properly designed. It was protecting a um, kind of a control room type environment. Mm -hmm. Did the training um, without going into all the other details. They ended up a couple of days after I did all the training, they had an unwanted discharge because somebody had actually burnt some popcorn and did not go through the process properly and accidentally dumped the system. Okay. There was a lady in there as they were trying to keep the other individual from accidentally discharging the system um, that was at that point in time probably in her early 60s mm -hmm. and and um, so the system discharged on them and when she was trying to get out of the room she started complaining that you know she was generally not feeling very good mm -hmm. um, her heart rate was was high um, and that type of thing well she did not realize until and about 15 minutes later 10 15 minutes later after she was out in some fresh air she was feeling she was she was back to feeling fine nobody else there was four other people in the room nobody else had any effects mm -hmm. from being exposed to the system discharging accidentally on them um, but so she went to the doctor like the next day or what come to find out she had a heart arrhythmia had no idea all these years later it, but from the adrenaline in the body, the system discharging, mm -hmm. and, and and all that. The slight dip in oxygen. And yeah, I mean, it yeah. and the excitement and all yeah. that, The that's why she felt it, because she had something that she wasn't even actually, you know, realized that she had. Mm -hmm. And when they did the testing, what the other thing you have to understand is when they did the testing on the dogs, they... Sometimes it would take, depending on the dog that they were testing on, four to ten times as much as it normally would a human would produce anyway. But again, there's safety factors <laughs> to ensure that you know that it that it is safe. So the uh, the no EL, the no observable adverse effects level. Mm -hmm. That's and then there's a concentration design concentration. The safety margin. Is that the difference between the design concentration, no EL, or is that low EL? It's the no EL. Okay. Um, so for like Novak 1230, they still today really don't know what the no EL safety factor is. Oh. They're basing it all on 10% mm -hmm. to give something. But you think about that, that's that four and a half to 10 for, I mean, that's a huge safety factor that, that, that goes into play um, that you can use the Novak 1230 in a lot of different, um, a lot of different environments and a lot of different design criteria if uh, if you need to to do that. Yeah. Well, the the reason why I'm asking is like with design concentrations when people when we go in and design a system, mm -hmm. uh, do we try to go a tad higher than the design or we try to hit the design concentration? We, I mean, we try to hit the design concentration. Okay. Now sometimes, so for an example, we were, you know, so customer says, I want this FM200 system. That's what I want. Give me a cost. Mm -hmm. We're going to measure out the length, width, height, get the cubic volume. We're going to get some other information mm -hmm. on the, on the room. We're going to go in. We're going to put that information into what we call flow calculation, and that flow calculation is going to base how many pounds of agent primarily 
off the cubic volume, but it's going to take into effect the pipe run, the pipe size, um, elbows, T's, nozzle code. There's a lot of other things that okay. get all in there, and it's going to spit out and say, you need 78 pounds. You were shooting for 76, but you're going to have to have 78. And I'm just using this as an example. So you were shooting for 7%, and it may come back and say, based on this information you put in, you're at 7.2. Okay. What the, because we're under the NOEA. It doesn't, okay. there's, there's no effect there. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you know, um, it, so again, you're shooting for it, but you're not always going to nail it exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, so in a proper design, they're going to want to add a little bit of flexibility into the design as far as the piping um, anyway. Mm-hmm. Because there may be things that was not seen, unforeseen above the ceiling or, you know, the way the walls may, whatever, that may cause the installer to have to make some changes in the, in the pipe run and, you know, those type of things. So you always have kind of that margin margin for you to be able to make a little bit of changes if, if need be on the, on the install. Okay. Um, let's talk about environmental concerns with the clean agents. Uh, okay. Uh, does any of them have uh, what's ozone depletion potential? None of the Halon 1301, as far as clean agents, is the only one that has the ozone depletion. None of the others have ozone depleters. I okay. mean, they're, they're claimed to be ozone, non-ozone depleting, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but however, FM200, Novak, and a couple of your other chemical agents, they absolutely do have a atmospheric lifetime. So FM200 has a global warming potential of zero, but its global or its atmospheric lifetime is around 32.6. It depends on which which documentation you read. Mm-hmm. Basically, 32 to about 34, 36 years okay. before it will start breaking down in the Earth's atmosphere. Okay. Novak 1230. It has an atmospheric lifetime of five days. Oh, well, okay. The reason you, the reason why it breaks down so much quicker is because it's a fluoroketone. Fluoroketone love sunlight. They love absorbing. It loves absorbing that sunlight. Mm-hmm. Um, the very the absolute probably the best example of that. And you can get on YouTube and just search Novak twelve thirty. You'll you'll find the video of. A little candle in the beaker. Somebody's got the liquid Novak 1230, and it'll start pouring. Not the liquid, just the vapor. And so you'll see that flame, and what you'll happen to see is you'll see that flame uh, basically grow, and it looks like it's like reaching out to mm-hmm. the Novak 1230 that's in the other container. It's the vapor of the Novak 1230 absorbing the heat faster than that little flame, can, and that's why it's. It's absorbing it so quick, so it only lasts five days. Okay. There is no atmospheric lifetime or ozone depletion or whatever in the inert gases. They're already in the atmosphere to begin with. Yeah. All right. Let's. I want to just hit on those three things: mm-hmm. the global warming, the that explain that. What does that mean? So they base global warming on um, pounds of CO two. Um, compared to in the atmosphere, um, and that's how they base the agents. So they look at it and say, okay, for like one pound of CO2, um, how long is it taking, you know, and they, and they take in the ultraviolet rays and the absorption and all these other factors. Basically, it's photosynthesis, mm-hmm. photosynthesis of what they're looking at. Okay. And then they, based off of that criteria, they look at how long is it taking for it to start breaking down. Like at Halon 1301, it takes like 68 years before it starts breaking down. And because of it, it had a global warming potential of basically of like 12, if you will. I mean, it, it was not good for the environment. Okay. So, but the others don't have a global warming potential, if you I mean, it's really atmospheric yeah. lifetime. So... I mean, that's really how they're, they're basing it off of is how many, you know, based off CO2 in the atmosphere 
and the heat absorption and the photosynthesis and how long it's taking to break down and all that stuff is depending on on the global warming potential and all that for the agents. Okay. And the other one, ozone depletion potential, that's that's kind of the idea of whether it's tearing a hole or right. in the ozone. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which so the old one, Elon, would... It, it yeah. was. Um, so... Actually, your global warming potential in particular for Halon is actually one. Okay. Okay, and it's ba again, it's based off the CO2. There is no global warming potential for FM200, Novak, or, you know, like a Caro, or like I said, the inert gases. Okay. And that's why, and because of that, because of the toxicity and the other criteria that the EPA has specified in the SNAP program, all those agents fall under that fall under that protocol and no ozone depletion mm -hmm. and so because there's no ozone depletion they can be used in the industry okay um I, I don't think i have any more questions is do you think these chemicals that are currently being used uh, the chemical oil agents uh, do you see any new ones coming up in the market that are better or I mean, is it a, are chemists working on this or what is? Oh, the, yeah. yeah, you probably have. I mean, because it was a point in time when FM200 was, ended up the, the molecular structure of the actual FM200 to make that agent as the replacement. There was a lot of, well, there ain't going to be anything else that's going to replace the hate. I mean, this is, this is. That was it. And then all of a sudden we had HFC125 and we had Novak in 2004. Okay. So. Yeah, there, I'm sure somebody is probably working on something. Um, there are some other, so back in February, I went to the FSSA conference and it was it's the Fire Suppression uh, Systems Association conference. Mm -hmm. And there had been talk that they have, there's been some people that have been looking at um, trying to take compressed dry liquid nitrogen and run it through some regulators and those type of thing, you know, to use it as a clean agent. Mm -hmm. Well, the reality of it is that whole entire process is really, really expensive. So it was like, yeah, no, probably, you know. But you never say, you never yeah, say never, no. right? Um, one of the other bigger, bigger it's ones. not attainable right now. No, it's yeah. not. Was um, it, I would assume that it was just, it was a much better suppression than these, these other chemical ones I don't possibly? Think, or? I don't think they ever got to that point because yeah. of the cost of trying to turn it from liquid into gas and okay. all that, that whole that whole process, yeah. I would assume. The other one right now that's a big one is a lot of people are wanting to look at water mist. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it goes back to our original conversation today about pros and cons, right? Um, because you have certain applications where a clean agent is not the right application. You want to protect your server room, your data room, your computer room, telecommunication, battery, dry electrical as long as it's low voltage, chemical storage to a certain degree, and then you get into your art galleries. Mm -hmm. Well, some of these art galleries or whatever, art vaults, that's what they call them that, but the reality, I mean, it's part of the building, and it's a great big, huge room. Yeah. There's no closed-off door. Clean agent's not the right application. You could use clean agent if you could get the room sealed off, mm -hmm. but the cost and all that, you're better off having a sprinkler system, and in that case, maybe a water mist. Again, it goes back to looking at pros and cons and what are you actually trying to protect. Mm -hmm. um, you know, water mist right now, Water mist absolutely has its applications. There is no doubt about it. Um, just like clean agents, they have their they have their place in the market. Um, and as long as everybody understands, and you know, not to steal a phrase, but stay in your lane, bro. Right? But I mean, everybody understands the pros and cons of each of the systems and what they're actually getting. And you have some crossover, but but again, it's it's. Um, really understand what you're getting and and you know making sure you're happy with the with the system 
Does water mist exist outside of fire extinguishers? I mean, is there yeah, a system? Yeah, there's, there's a the water mist system. So basically okay. what a water mist is doing is being pressurized with nitrogen. Mm -hmm. And so nitrogen in and itself, at the proper design, will lower the oxygen content. Well, so you, you have that lowering the oxygen content and then the small particulate of the water mist, it's still water, now you're doing the cooling effect. Okay. Um, water mist systems are like fantastic on you know, like the production of insulation, um, like what they call a galve line or whatever in the roll steel mill and certain applications with the mm -hmm. way things are, I mean, fantastic. Whereas, you know, in the, in the past, maybe, <clears throat> maybe in certain applications, CO2 would be used. Well, CO2 is a fantastic fire suppression agent, but it's not a life safety. Yep. So there, you know, so if, if a customer can look at it from that standpoint and you say, look, we can use a water mist and it's going to be a lot safer because we don't have to worry, for an example, a CO2 drifting into other areas or whatever, maybe that's really the option they need to go with. Again, it's understanding what what you're trying to do and, and all the things that go into purchasing those systems. All right, cool. I'll have to do more research. I didn't know there was water mist systems. Mm -hmm. yep. Learn something new every day. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks. Thank you, Chris. You're for very welcome. Thank you. Joining me today. Um, if you have any more questions about clean agent fire suppression systems, uh, you can contact your local Corson Fire and Security branch or uh, contact us online at Corson.com. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us, and see you later. See you. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and rate us on iTunes. You can also find our podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and other popular podcast players. Search for Corson Fire and Security Chat to find it. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next week for our next episode of the Corson Fire and Security Chat podcast. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is believed to be reliable, but Corson Fire and Security assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. It does not constitute professional advice. The listener of this podcast is responsible for verifying the information's accuracy from all available sources, including the product manufacturer. The authority of having jurisdiction should be contacted for code interpretations.